This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey guys, welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential. So glad that you could join me. So when my guest Emerald Fennell got the role as Camilla in The Crown, this is what she wrote, and I quote, I absolutely love Camilla and am very grateful that my teenage years have well prepared me for playing a chain-smoking cereal snogger with a pudding bowl haircut. Fennell was well prepared. She does a terrific turn as Camilla, one part of the world's perhaps most famous, scrutinized, and publicized love triangles. Emerald Fennell is multi-talented, funny, and whip-smart. In her mid-30s, she's already written three novels and starred in the BBC series called The Midwife. She took over the reins from Phoebe Waller-Bridge as head writer for season two of the series Killing Eve. And her directorial film debut called Promising Young Woman is a wickedly smart revenge movie with brilliant female characters and killer costumes. Unfortunately, it should have come out earlier this year, but has been shuffled around due to the pandemic. Now, I got to speak to Emerald Fennell about this season of The Crown, about Camilla's role in history, if she's been misunderstood, and much more. This season of The Crown is again moving forward in history. Creator Peter Morgan mixes the political moment, the arrival of Margaret Thatcher, played to perfection by Gillian Anderson, with the continuing royal soap opera and Lady Di's dramatic and difficult entrance into the family. Here is The Crown. Your Majesty, I think we have enough respect for one another personally to ask ourselves some of the bigger questions, woman to woman. We are the same age after all. Really? Just six months between us. Oh? And who is the senior? I am. Ma'am. Two women running the shop. That's the last thing this country needs. Perhaps that's precisely what this country needs. My goal is to change this country from being dependent to self-reliant, and I think in that I am succeeding. Joblessness, recession, crises. It's a dangerous game to make enemies left, right and centre. Not if one is comfortable with having enemies. Are you? Oh, yes. dear boy, you shall be king. Your duty now was the choice of a woman that people will love as a princess and in due course as queen. much for joining me in this sumptuous menagerie of women that you come up with that you mold that you've done in all your career with your series and your novels how does Camilla fit into this for you personally well I suppose I'm always interested in in characters and most especially women who maybe aren't what they first seem to be and um I suppose the thing with Camilla is that she, certainly when I was growing up in my very early life in England, you know, she was somebody who was tabloid fodder, some, somebody that 
was written and spoken about in the most um, awful way. Um, and it's interesting because I, it, it never occurred to me that Camilla was, was anything like the pe that people were sort of portraying. And so when I said to my agent, when The Crown first came out, when series one came out, I said, they're gonna want Camilla at some point please, please make sure I get to go in and audition for it because I just feel like she's one of those people who, I, I grew up with women like this, who were sort of no fuss, straightforward, funny, you know, country, uh, kind of country women. And I just think she got sucked into this, this sort of whirlwind. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm amazed that she got out. Now you describe her uh, when you got the role that you were prepared to play her because she's a chain-smoking serial snogger. <laughs> yes. But I'm a bit perplexed at how the British see Camilla because on one side, sort of reading the research about it, it's like the home wrecker. We will never forgive her. And at the same time, so cheeky and naughty. We love her. Let her stay. So it's this mixed bag, right? I mean, that's sort of what we're like here, I suppose, is that we sort of give with one hand and punch with the other one. I think the truth of it is, is that um, the, the view, the public, I suppose, view of Camilla has changed over the course of the years. And, you know, she and Charles's deep friendship and deep love has been borne out. And, you know, really, in, for my whole adult life, they've been married. You know, I was... 50 I was, years, their sort of love. Yeah, exactly. And, in, and so and they've been married since I was a teenager. So for me she's always been this kind of latter-day Camilla. I didn't really grow up with the, the one who was getting the sort of homewrecker stuff. Um, but I think in general, you know, people have to have respect for the fact that they, you know, they, their love affair has been, as you say, 50 years long. And, and that's difficult to, that's difficult to argue with, I think. And also, there's a reason that Charles loved her for 50 years and it's because she really, according to all accounts, every single account of her is that she's incredibly good fun and incredibly kind and decent, you know. Yeah, the impression is, I mean, I could be wrong, but she doesn't necessarily want to be queen, but she knows how to do it. I think that's it. I think that she, I think, I think over time, I suppose after what happened after their, their love affair was exposed in the media, it couldn't have been worse. Those years following that could not have been worse. I don't think there's any level of vitriol that could have been more extreme than that. So I suppose then the worst had already happened. So when it came to the discussion about whether they might get married later in life, you know, I suppose it would have been, what's the worst that could happen, frankly? Right. Talking sort of about the look of Camilla as well, because one thing you've said working with your women in Killing Eve is something you said that women in distress dress up. Would you say that about Camilla? Because she seems like kind of someone who dresses down. <laughs> well, that's, that's a really interesting question because actually we were just sort of talking about that, um, me, Josh and Emma, about costumes. I think the thing is, is this is sort of the inverse actually, because Camilla's power is that she doesn't give a fuck, you know? And that is very, very unusual for women, particularly women in the public eye, you know, to resolutely decide not to change, right. not to listen, is hugely powerful, I think. And so she, I would say, is the exception that proves the rule here, because it is very, very out of the ordinary. 
Yes. Of course, we all know it must have been a terrible situation for Diana, no doubt. And, and generally, you said that there's a huge gap in empathy and understanding between people, particularly that so many things happen to women that men just don't really know anything about or, or that doesn't happen to them. So where's Charles? What is his responsibility in this? And how have people see him today? Well, I think, again, it's changed so much because I think a lot of people you know, it, it, it's a lot of people have grown to understand the complexities of it. Um, but it's, yes, you, it's absolutely right. It's interesting that it's a, you know, it's a love triangle with two women, neither of whom, neither of whom really are being listened to by Charles. And there are lots of reasons for that. I think partly it's gendered and, and particularly a man of his class and his time. But, you know, he's a prince. And so you know, you're used to people standing up when you walk into the room, you're used to being bowed to, like, no matter how nice a person you are, that is an extraordinary circumstance. And I think the thing was, is that Diana palpably, you know, entered into the, this marriage wanting to be loved. She was a person who just had so much love and wanted to be loved. And he resolutely refused to even publicly admit that he loved her, you know, famously, or even, you know, show her any sort of affection or tenderness, really, which, you know, is very difficult. And then on the other hand, you have Camilla, who was happily married with children, happily anonymous, you know, and you see in this series of The Crown again and again and again, he just will not listen when she says, no, 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 I don't want to do this. No, I'll be made mincemeat of. No, and he doesn't listen. And Peter Morgan is so, I mean, He's such a genius, but one of his real little clevernesses is that in, in quite a lot of our scenes together, um, you notice that Charles is talking, just Charles is talking and he's planning and he's saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. And then I'm going to do this. And we're going to do this. And it's so interesting because everything that I know about Camilla, the little that I do know is that she's not shy in coming forward, but you know, often he's a, he's a person who's not, maybe doesn't know, notice when it's a monologue, not a conversation. Talking about these spectacular women in this series, I mean, this is the Margaret Thatcher era. And shout out Gillian Anderson, what a portrayal. Thatcher, as opposed to these royal women, what was her sort of difference between them? Well, I suppose the thing is, and I should say I haven't seen the series yet, so I'm only going by what I've... Yeah, I, I know, have. <laughs> I know, but I kind of want to save it up and watch it okay. with my family, you know? There's a lot, it's lockdown times. So we've got yes. to portion out. Well, that's uh, why I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the great thing about The Crown as well, is that, you know, all of us are only in it a certain amount. So you right. can kind of fast forward through yourself and not feel and not feel you've missed too much. But, um, you know, Margaret Thatcher's fascinating character, really. I, I suppose it's interesting. There's an amazing scene where they talk about being six months apart. And they Queen are Elizabeth kind of, and Sorry, yes, Queen Elizabeth and Margaret. And, uh, sorry, Queen Elizabeth, yes. And yes, Margaret, it's Margaret Thatcher, yeah. Uh, and, and there's something about the kind of difference between this idea of being born to something and the thing of being the grocer's daughter, I suppose. Suddenly you're looking at women in power who've got there by completely different means, um, who have very, very little in common. And it's... It's an interesting dynamic, you know, it's, it's this idea of suddenly two women in the room and actually, you know, the kind of conflict and the camaraderie that that 
sort of throws up. I, I don't know. It's sort of, it's a relationship that is completely and utterly unique. There'll never have been a relationship. The, the like different again. restraints on both sides, but at the same time, I think there's some sort of mutual understanding. There's so many interesting women here, chain smoking, hard drinking, super funny, everyone from Margaret to Camilla. Now, what do you think Camilla would think of like what Megan has done? Isn't there a little bit of impressed <laughs> that you do your yeah. own thing? I have no idea because again, you know, the, the stuff that I'm, the world that we were in was such a long time ago. You know, it was sort of the 80s and, and I don't know how much everyone's changed. I mean, in terms of, it, it's imp the one thing that Doing the Crown has taught me is it is impossible to know what, what is being said behind the scenes. Because I think what Peter is so clever at winkling out is, is actually stuff that you would never, even, allegiances you would never know had happened, like little intrigues, you know, little enmities. Like, I honestly, the one thing I do know about, you know, whatever's happening now is I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And the story, whatever the real story is, will be even more fascinating and strange than any of us could imagine, I'm sure. Yeah. It must, though, be, going back to Camilla, it, it has to be draining for a person like that to never be able to say what you want. Absolutely. I think for, but, but actually for either, you know, I think one of Charles's great problems is that he's always stopped from being, from speaking. He's always belittled every time he tries to speak. Um, and I think that, I mean, for me, that is the cruelty of, the crown that is the terrible burden that they live under is that they are constantly talking and never saying anything you're constantly meeting people you're constantly meeting the most fascinating people from all over the world whose stories are you know you would want to relate to and they can't they can't you can't say anything to anyone you can't make a joke you can't be glib you can't you just have to smile and nod. And I just think it would be pretty unbearable, actually. Yeah. You, as someone who has spent so much of your career making these great women, what have you learned from this Camilla experience about women and relationships in particular? I don't know. It's, I mean, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one with the crown because it's so, it's so unique. It's so unlike any other relationship. It's impossible to have a frame of reference. Normally you would say, oh yes, this or that, or I can dig this up from here. But, you know, to be in a menage a trois, to be in the most famous menage a trois in the world with a print, with future King of England and Princess Diana is really beyond the realms of imagination. And so, I don't know, I think I've learned an enormous amount from the practical side of the crown. Um, the way that it is, you know, the way that it's made is truly exemplary. Honestly, it is such a huge production. Every single person on it is the best of the best of the best. It's such a well-oiled machine. Everyone is so happy. It's such a pleasurable place to work. And it really, I really think it proves that it is possible under immense pressure, you know, to actually kind of have a fun time. I think they're really, really brilliant at making it, making it fun. But on another note, do you think that royalty appreciates all this jewelry and, and all this? And what was the most fun for you part of it? I mean, for me, what was so fun, I mean, Camilla, again, she's such a, she's not part of this kind of crew at all. 
which is what makes her so great. What I loved was that I really, you know, usually as an actress, you're preoccupied with trying to look, you know, sort of, I don't know, lovely or whatever, whatever it is. Camilla is so, her loveliness comes with in her kind of attitude and her complete awareness that it's all nonsense. And that is just so, I mean, unbelievably appealing. But yeah, no, I myself am a horribly superficial person. Like, <laughs> the only reason I do any of this is for a free pair of shoes. So, <laughs> so I mean, I obviously am very sad I didn't get to wear an ermine cape and a crown. Well, there's an expression in Sweden, there's no bad weather, there's only bad clothes. And Camilla dresses very well for rain and hunting and all that type Absolutely. of thing. Absolutely. <laughs> and she, you know, like my grandmother, you know, they're, they're just, there are certain types of kind of particularly British, but I think it's probably universal women who just, to, to acknowledge fashion in any way is the worst kind of vanity. And it's sort of ridiculous. Um, unfortunately, I'm not remotely immune to it yeah <laughs> but you said several times that um excuse my language she doesn't give a fuck well why does she do it i mean have you figured it out i mean you know again difficult to say i've no idea really but for me it was that she loves him you know they just they keep coming back again and again and what i think the real root of it is that they're best friends they talk every day on the phone, at least once a day. They, they just, they make each other happy. They really do. And so, you know, once your life's been upended already, why wouldn't you just choose the person that makes you happy? I think- yeah. No, I'm thinking more in terms of like, okay, so if, they, if she, it wasn't the love of her life, would, would she have left this royal constraint? Oh God, oh, I'm sorry. If she didn't love Charles, you mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. She would have had nothing to do with it. I think really, I, I truly believe it was an anathema to her. Like I don't, I just, I think it, it was mortifying. I just have to take my last 30 seconds to ask you because I'm, I got to see Promising Young Woman right before everything closed down. When will everyone else be able to see it? And congratulations on that as well. You have two incredible projects here. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you to say, well, you know, everything is shifting sand still at the moment, but um, as we speak, the release date for the US theatrical release is Christmas Day. <laughs> Anyone who's seen the trailer for the film will know that it's a very... So it's you and Disney. <laughs> Christmas Eve film. Um, but but we, we don't know. I'm sorry to say we're sort of doing that thing of just waiting to see when it's safe and... Um, I hope it will be soon, yeah, because it was supposed to come out mid-April, so that's been a strange thing. Yeah. But thank you so much for saying that. It was such a pleasure to make. And will you be part of another season of The Crown where they get married? Sadly not. Now we pass the baton to the next, the next actors. I don't even know who they are yet. So, But it will be wonderful for me because it means I'll be able to watch it without sort of hiding behind a pillow when I come on. With a tiara on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be able to watch it in a cape with a tiara on. Finally. Emma, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. 
Thank you so much to Emerald Fennell. The new season of The Crown premieres on Netflix on November 15th. And please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud or Spotify. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Thank you.